my first thing when I think about goal setting is I first list all the biggest risks I can think of to the business. And then I set goals around that. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a risk to not innovate enough, right? And so you have to innovate. And, and so it, it doesn't keep me static by any means. But uh, so when I look around and I see, see business owners out there that are doing everything they can to de-risk their venture, whether that is um, to hire only awesome people or, or, or not grow too fast or to um, go out and, you know, it can be ambitious things like go out and do a large fundraise because it means they have more runway. Um, I'm, I'm just impressed and inspired by that. And I, I think, I think that's a story that doesn't get told that often. Welcome to the small business storyteller show, the podcast designed to learn from the successes and the failures of small businesses making an impact. My name is Seth Silvers, and after four years of helping small businesses learn to market with stories, I've learned that someone might be selling something similar to you, but nobody, absolutely no one, can compete with your stories. This show is dedicated to diving into the one thing that makes every small business unique, their story, and learning from the good and the hard parts. If you see business as a tool for good, and you want to learn from others who believe the same, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Small Business Storyteller Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Small Business Storytellers. I am here today with a good friend of mine, Seamus. Uh, we've kind of been rubbing shoulders in the startup community in Fort Collins for a handful of years now. And so I wanted to bring Seamus in to talk about what he does because I really think it's uh, it's important and I think we're going to get to like shed some light on like how things are actually built when building companies, particularly like tech companies. And I, I think that a lot of people, they have great ideas, but then they don't really know like, how do, I, how do I build this? What do I do with it? And so I think it'll be a fun conversation of going into that. So Seamus, thanks for being with us here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And just to start off this conversation, give us some context for like, what does your life look like? And then kind of go into what do you, what do you do? All right. Uh, what does my life look like? So I've crafted my life largely around work because I really enjoy what I do. I came out of college thinking I was going to be a teacher um, realized I was way too competitive to be a teacher and kind of fell into the tech world, um, startups to be specific. The, the thing I liked about that is you can be as competitive as you want. Uh, there is um, lots of uh, opportunity to win and to be creative and to try new things, um, which was extremely uh, appealing to me. What was the first? Was it Quipit? No, so the first tech company I worked for was actually in uh, uh, Corvallis, Oregon, called Strands. Okay. And I got a chance to work there, actually, because I was um, into distance running and trying to make it as a professional distance runner. And okay. Strands and, this com and Mizuno uh, co-sponsored a team that was training out there. So I moved out there, actually, to run and um, got a job as what I would kind of say is like just a marketing imp or the gopher. Like and I went, uh, they'd send me for coffee and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just really to pay the bills and pay back college loans. And uh, while doing that, the product manager in the office, I kind of noticed he was the one that everyone listened to. He kind of seemed like the, the captain or the, the coach of the, the team. 
So I pulled my desk over um, next to him and just asked him to give me any work he could. I was like, put anything you can on your plate. Uh, all the work I'm doing right now is extremely like boring. It's data entry crap. Uh, I hate it. But what you're doing seems to be really interesting. Uh, give me as much as you possibly can um, until they uh, until HR tells me that I'm working too many hours. <laughs> so uh, I did that for about eight months and then eventually got called into HR because I had a limit on only 20 hours a week I could work. Okay. And um, I was like, they're either going to fire me or give me a salary job, and they gave me a salary position. That's and that was kind of my introduction to product management. Cool. Um, yeah. So. And then where did you go from there? Like, how did, how, you know, we're yeah. in Fort Collins, not Oregon. So what was kind of the path that got you here? So it was really incredible. The company I was working for went through some massive layoffs, and I actually got laid off for three weeks or so, and then hired back on with a much smaller team. So we went from um, a team of 36 that I was working on out uh, out in Oregon to there's about eight of us. Okay. And it was awesome because I was now the only product manager, and um, it was just a small group of people all in the same room, uh, really just trying to stay alive because we'd all seen our coworkers and stuff mm-hmm. uh, be laid off. And so I worked, continued working out for, uh, with Strands for another year, and then they consolidated um, the business units, at which time I, I was offered to either move to San Francisco, and I said, uh, I'm going to move back to the East Coast. Um, so I spent a little bit of time working remotely in, in uh, Washington, D.C., where my wife was going to school, fiancé at the time, and then uh, we moved to Colorado because she said she wanted to move to mountains, and I worked from home, so... There Would I go. be to not agree, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, so um, where and when did OTL Ventures kind of start out of all of this? Yeah, so the company I went to after Strands was called Track, and I was number nine there. And um, by the time I left, we were a little over 120 um, people, and we had been acquired. And I had worked as the COO after working as a product manager for a number of years. Um, and I was just ready to get try something new. Um, I thoroughly understood the industry. Um, uh, yeah, I I was feeling burnt out. So, um, I left and started a a startup called quip it, uh, did that for about nine months and, um, realized that I wasn't leaning into my strengths with that at all. Um, trying to fundraise, do a lot of things that wasn't me, uh, whatsoever. I was also, it was a social, um, the product we were building was, uh, like social product and I'm not a big user of any social media at all um, and not your stereotypical typical consumer. Mm-hmm. So it just wasn't, it wasn't a good fit at all. So I left there, took a little bit of time off, and that's when OTL came about. Um, and OTL Ventures is a throwback to my college running days where um, my team had this slogan, um, OTL, which stood for on the line. Um, it was the idea that when uh, you lined up for a race and cross country or whatever it was, everyone was on the line together, whether you were the best on the team or the worst on the team, and you were going to give it as much effort as you possibly could once that gun went off. Uh, So the short period of time when I was kind of looking at new opportunities, I was talking to a lot of companies that were excited about hiring me to work as a product manager and help build out kind of the their software product. Um, these are all founders that wanted to start software companies but didn't have experience in software. And what I realized is most of them didn't have the money or they weren't 
even thinking about uh, what it takes to build a software product kind of holistically. And I realized pretty quickly that working, I get a lot more joy out of building uh, than anything else. And so I wanted to surround myself with an awesome team of like-minded builders and actually build software products uh, for companies as opposed to being uh, just in-house and kind of working on the software side completely solo. Um, and independently. So um, after having had about five companies that wanted to hire me to build out their software product, I said, hey, you know, give me about four weeks. And I went and I got um, some really awesome people that I had worked with throughout the years. And I said, hey, if, if I have some uh, contracts, will you come join me and we'll be a um, kind of product team for hire? Mm. And we will operate... Um, as if we were in-house, because that's I had never been a contractor, a consultant, worked in an agency, nothing before OTL. So the only really way I knew how to do it was to operate like we were in-house. Right. But do it on behalf of a couple of different companies, basically so they could just pay our salaries, because they couldn't. <laughs> no one could afford to have us all um, right. full time. So um, that was kind of the problem I saw in the in the market, and just the opportunity that landed in my lap. Totally. Um, and that was two and a half years ago now. So that's amazing. So, um, product team for hire. A lot of the people that have been on this podcast have been more, uh, more in the like, you know, physical goods or main street America businesses and stuff. Um, demystify the, like, I want to build it. Like I have an idea for an app because I'm sure that like people talk to you and they're like, Oh, I have this great idea for an app or for a soft, for a piece of software or something like, yeah. As when consumers are thinking about, you know, something on their phone and this cool idea that popped into their head, uh, kind of like demystify, like what actually goes into that process to where we would actually need to bring in like a product team for hire or a product team internally to actually make something like that happen? Yeah, that's a good question. And I get asked it often by people in, in various stages, some people that you know, were having a beer last night and came up with some idea totally. all the way to people that had been actually working on it for a number of, uh, a number of months, uh, sometimes even years that want to bring an idea, um, to life and they believe that software is the way to do that. And, and that's the way I always think about it. Like, um, you have an idea, uh, even better yet, it shouldn't be an idea as much as it should be. You've recognized a problem. Um, so you have a problem and you think, you know, the solution and you believe the solution happens to be software. Um, so that's usually how I start that conversation. Um, I say, okay, what is, what is the unique problem that you've witnessed? Um, and why are you special in witnessing it? Right? Like what about you, uh, makes you unique that only you found this problem or only you know the correct solution to this? And um, that usually frustrates people because everyone wants to start with a solution, like their idea. Um, (laughs) No, it's just going to be awesome. All you have to do is download it and open it, and then it's going to save the world, right? Um, But uh, I usually start, all right, what's what's the problem that you found? What's the solution you believe um, is required? And then let's talk about whether or not software should actually be part of that solution. Now, today you have things like there's so many apps out there that it just seems like an app is a natural solution. a natural solution, but that's not, that's not always the case. We worked with one uh, company here in town that used, um, you know, uh, text messages and just Google sheets, 
right, um, to start a company that was uh, like labor on demand. So um, they saw Uber as the model, but realized they couldn't build an app to start. And so let's use text messages and Google Sheets. So a lot of times what what I look at is, okay, what have you done so far? And what can you do uh, before software to prove that it works, to prove that, um, one, people have the problem you want to solve, and then people are going to respond to your solution um, in an attractive way that just that builds a business, doesn't just build a product. Because a lot of people work on building a product. Um, a product can be... Uh, can be fun, um, uh, widget, uh, widget spinners, whatever those little things are. Those are, those are products, right? Right. But I'm not sure there's much of a business around them unless you're the first person that created them and had everyone buying them from you. Right. right? Like for everyone else, there's, there's not much of a business. So, um, we usually work towards the product, uh, in terms of demystifying it. What I, what I say, um, at the stage you're ready to work with OTL ventures, um, we look for uh, like the thumbs up and the middle fingers. Like, what have you tried so far mm-hmm. that worked super good, um, and you were getting thumbs up or like fist pump, uh, fist pumps for? And then what are the things that just crashed and burned, right? Like worked terrible, and we're getting you middle fingers for. Totally. Um, and we try to obviously uh, minimize the the bad and double down on um, on wherever there's thumbs up and dig more into that thumbs up and see how we can increase more of the value. Um, so that's a little bit of our process from a, from a straight up, like how we build the software in general. Um, usually what I tell people is it's going to cost a lot more money than you're thinking and it's going to, uh, take a lot longer. Um, so make sure that it's going to work. Can you give us some examples of that? Cause I know yeah. like, you know, we see Super Bowl ads for Squarespace and for yeah. like, it's easy to build a website. Yes. And so I think I, I'm always fascinated by areas of when we like gather assumptions in one area and place that assumption on another area. And so like, it's easy. Like I can go and build a website in an hour Yeah, and I can do that with a $10 a month subscription or I could probably even do it for free. Um, we'll say less than a hundred dollars to build a website. Absolutely. And so I feel like that thinking kind of makes it when I have an idea for an app or for software, it's like, oh, cool! I just have to build a couple web pages. Like, this won't cost that much. I've seen somebody that can, yeah. you know, that knows how to do the internet well. I think that's how a lot of people that are very uh, unaware of how software works they think about it. So, I give us a few examples of, and and I realize you might need to keep things confidential, but like, give us some examples of when people have came to you and maybe like throw out some numbers of what things actually cost to build solutions. And kind of why? Because I think it's yeah. I, I think it's important that people know those things. Yeah. So the the th- as you said, uh, spinning up a website or what I'll refer to as kind of like a marketing page, really inexpensive. Um, the reason being is that they're largely static. Things aren't changing, right? Maybe yeah. they have a a um, subscribe list for a newsletter or something, right? Um, and so uh, it makes it fairly simple for those to be put in place. Um, in fact, with WordPress and stuff, you can get even slightly more advanced. And some people only actually need that. They think they need like a, a product, but really they're looking at a marketing site that right. um, has some bells and whistles. Uh, what we focus on, and we try to, I try to do no marketing sites just because I think there are 
more cost-effective ways potentially to, to do that. Um, and I personally don't find a lot of joy in it. What we focus on is um, custom applications. So things that have uh, complex inputs and outputs. Um, so this could be, that could be a marketplace. One of our um, clients here in town builds software for landlords. And so you have multiple audiences, you have uh, landlords um, that want to get an online application and then uh, they want to run a screening and background check. And so um, on one side, you have a landlord who's going to add information like um, the, how the property works. Um, or amenities of the property and details and images of that property. And they're going to add the criteria for who they're looking for in a renter, right? And then um, an application, an applicant's going to come along, fill out an application, and the landlord has to see that application now. And then the landlord's going to say, I want to look at this person's credit score. And so they're going to trigger a screening report, which hits TransUnion, which is going to provide the actual credit, uh, credit score. Right. Who then emails the renter, who fills out information, um, and then uh, fills out information to verify their identity, and then TransUnion gives that screening report to the um, to the landlord, and they view that right. So there's this entire journey of things that are happening on different sides, and um, when when that's the case, uh, you usually need custom software um, that's going to sit in there. And the majority of the cost of, of software goes to just labor. It goes to, uh, in this case, you'll have uh, software engineers working on it. You'll have someone working on it that's doing QA or quality assurance. You'll have the product manager who's working to put all the po- uh, kind of pipes together. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you'll have a designer that's defining how the whole thing works. Right. And um, so what I tell people to kind of estimate in terms of what they'll need for a, for a product team that can keep up with their business, a growing business, um, to have like one and a half engineers, uh, the QA product management and design, you're probably looking at 15,000 plus a month. Um, now some people will build a product and just leave it there. But usually what happens is you build a product and you see, okay, it's delivering value to customers here, right? You look for those, those fist pumps and the middle fingers and you say, this is really working with a product. Let's double down. Let's add another right. feature. Let's add more functionality. And you say, ah, this isn't working at all. This is, this is creating support requests or we're losing money on this. And then you say, okay, we're going to, uh, we're going to f- change that, right? We're going to change that. We're going to tr- try something else. We're going to try a new experiment. And so what ends up happening as you build a product is it ends up being ongoing. Um, you get that first version out there, you learn from it and you want to make changes, right. you learn from it and you want to make changes. And so that's why, um, from our perspective and what I, uh, the engagements we create with a lot of the companies we work with are, um, ongoing, uh, every, every single month. And so, um, we don't do any one time like flat rate projects because in my experience, that's not how businesses work. They're going to learn something. They're going to need you to update it. Um, and they're going to notice that there's more value to be, um, to provide your users. And so, um, yeah, we don't do, we don't do anything flat rate. Uh, we also don't, a lot of, agencies or companies similar to OTL will say, okay, you want this app and they'll kind of design it all out in the very beginning. Um, say these are all the, these are all the, the parts to it, all the functionality, all the buttons, these are all the, um, designs, how to look and feel. 
and then they'll start building it and they'll say, mm. well, we're going to, it's going to take us three months. We need, um, part of the money now, part of it halfway through and part at the end. Right. And three months is a really long time for a new company. And in three months, you might realize that Facebook just launched the same thing you're working on. Right. Right. Or you might realize that you were completely wrong, not about the problem you're solving, but who you're going to solve it for. Right. And instead we're going to solve it for someone different. So and your solution is almost more like we're your team. To we're way more flexible. As it exactly. Goes. As we learn things, we adjust. Um, and awesome. you don't have to pay anything ahead of time because the reality is if halfway through um, it turns out it's not a good idea, then it's all done. You know what I yeah. mean? <laughs> then, um, and that happens. Right. We, we've had multiple times where we've been just two weeks into a project um, working and doing a bunch of user research, ta- talking to prospective client uh, customers. And on behalf of a on behalf of a company we're working with, and have realized that this idea is not going to work, and gone back to the company and said, "Listen, like this idea is not going to work. Hmm. You got to go back to the drawing board. Um, we can help you go back to the drawing board, or we can, you know, put a pause on this, right. and we can come back to it later." So, let's just say, and I know enough about this world to know yeah. that you know, fifteen thousand a month, like that's going to work well for some and it's going to be a lot more than that for others. But let's just like say in an ideal world, 15,000 a month. Um, If people are listening and they have ideas, tell them why they should not be discouraged by that. If that like number is like, Oh my gosh, like I can't even imagine like, how do you raise that? How do you get started with that? Like, Tell me why people shouldn't get discouraged oh, if they feel like they have good ideas. Seth, that's a hard one for me because I'm usually the discourager. That's why I've heard. Um, no. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, I've, heard, I've heard that uh, people that you go to Seamus for him to tell you whether your ideas are good or bad. But that also, <laughs> like, it's good that you're there to be able to say, like, in reality, this is not an idea worth pursuing. Yeah, or or the way I usually look at it is this isn't an idea probably worth spending the kind of money it would be uh, take for me to build it um, right now. So I think if uh, if you're hearing like that fifteen thousand a month and it kind of seems um, unobtainable and too far out there, to me what that means is. You just need more evidence. Um, you need to go out and get yourself more evidence that this is going to work. Um, yeah. And that's that's usually what I try to do as, a, as opposed to being a discourager. Usually when I, t- I try to convince people not to build anything. When I, uh, I would say 90% of the people I sit down with and we talk about um, starting a project and stuff like that, I try to convince them right now don't build anything custom that's, you, a, that's a bad business strategy it's a te- yeah it's like somebody comes in they want to hire you you're like no you need not hire me i <laughs> i agree yeah it, it, but at the end of the day what happens too is um i love what i do and my entire team loves we love building products that are going to move a business forward and and like we're right beside the companies we work with if they have their best revenue day ever like we celebrate as hard as them because we've put a lot into it and so i just see no there's no winning in me encouraging someone to build something that's mm-hmm. not going to work or encouraging them to build it with with me if i know from the beginning it's it's not going to um it's not going to work or it's too early mm-hmm. so usually i tell people um 
go out, run more experiments, go out, try to find someone that's going to be your first customer. Um, and then if that doesn't add up to 15,000 a month yet, you got to find your second customer and your third customer and as many as you need, right. To start getting close to that 15,000 a month, um, to think about, to think about building this out. Um, and right now with how the economy is going and, and there are people that will fund ideas from a startup, but they need more evidence that it's going to work than even I do. Mm -hmm. Um, they want to see who are those customers. They want to see that you've done the work in the trenches and run experiments. Um, so if you're sitting there thinking, wow, 15, I I can never, you know, I'm not going to be able to do that. I would just say you probably don't have enough faith in, in the problem you're trying to solve, right? right? In, yeah. in what you're going after. So, because um, yeah. there's great. there's tons of money in software. So if you solve a real problem for for people, um, you'll make way more than than that fifteen thousand mm-hmm. fifteen thousand a uh, a month. Right. So you mentioned you mentioned kind of lightly just that you guys really love what you do. I always want to jump into that. I'm just yeah. like, why do you, why do you enjoy it? Why do you love what you guys get to do? So there's a lot of, after being the CEO and starting my own um, startup before OTL Ventures, I realized how many things there are to worry about as the CEO in, in the in a company. Um, and I also I went through an accelerator program in Boulder, and as do as part of doing that, I spent. Uh, 12 weeks with 10 other teams, small teams. And what I realized is the, the teams made of like industry experts um, were light years ahead of the teams made of technologists. So these were people who had done sales or marketing or even customer support in an industry, and they'd seen some unique problem. And they had a solution for it. And I was so attracted to the certainty that they had that this was going to work. And then many of them, because they came from a sales background, they already had the Rolodex of people to reach out to and to get a business going. And they were terrified of building the software product. Um, Where I was the opposite. Uh, I was trying to solve a problem that I didn't personally believe enough in um, because I wasn't the target user. And I was just interested in building. And so uh, for me, looking around and seeing these industry experts that could go out and sell a product... Um, I was just attracted to their mission. Like I just wanted to join that mission and focus on building the perfect piece of, of software, the perfect ex- software experience, I would say, um, for their customers that they wanted to add value to. So um, down deep, I enjoy building things. Uh, when I'm not working uh, on building like digital products, I like to work on my house. Um, my father's a contractor and I did that all growing up. So I... I just like building, um, and building on a computer, uh, tends to be more lucrative and you don't have to be out in the rain. So, uh, to some some extent, that's, that's what's attracted me a lot to, to software, but it's got all the same pieces. Like you, you've got, um, you're, you got to work with a whole bunch of different people that are Mm cross-functional from design to development, to marketing, to sales, um, to hopefully make something come together that the market responds to. Right. Where do you see, like, what does the future of OTL Ventures look like? And even just kind of your own future. Like, do you have some aspirations either personally or with your own business that um, are kind of driving you forward? Yeah, so 
a big goal of OTL is to start working on some of our own projects internally. We've got, there's 10 of us now, and we all love working together, and we all love um, building products that users really just fall in love with. And kind of like you were saying before we started, mm-hmm. um, at some point you look around and you're saying, I'm doing this for all these other people. Um, I would like to try to take a couple swings at it myself. Right. And so one of the things that we're working on is just slowly increasing the amount of time internally that we're spending working on some of our own things. Right. And so 2019 is... Um, in part about us extending the amount of time we're working on our own internal projects. And it, it has two, has two kind of, um, there's two things I hope come out of that. Uh, the one is we all just like working together. And when we're split up working on different team, uh, projects, we don't get to all work together as a group that often. Right. And last, last Friday we did one of our quarterly, um, like, team calls because most of us are remote so we all got on the video and I asked everyone what would make working at OTL um, more enjoyable would it make it better and they all said if we were just working on our own product together just because we enjoy working with each other right so that's kind of the that's the, awesome yeah I was I was blown away that's a, it's a good thing to hear um, that was a fist pump day uh, the uh, <laughs> uh, so that's kind of the one goal. Um, and then the other is, uh, when you're working for other companies, you their your future is in their hands to mm-hmm. some extent. Um, we've been super fortunate with having lots of, lots of business and, um, working with really good companies, but the more we can work on our own internal things, the more we control our own, our own destiny. Totally. And so, um, we're not in a hurry to completely move away from working on, um, clients things. Uh, we actually love that right now we get, uh, to see a lot of different, um, problems across a variety of in, uh, industries. Mm-hmm. And so I think that makes us a lot better at what we do because we can learn from each project that we're on. Uh, so we'll continue doing that for the, for the future. But the idea of us all coming together, working on our own thing has that's definitely sweet. got us all on fire now. Yeah, that's cool. Business wise, do you see, um, like I know you were a part of ownership for another company in town yeah. and, um, I guess, do you see OTL being your only piece that you're involved in, in the future or what do you kind of see down the road for Seamus? Yeah. So right now I enjoy, I've enjoyed focusing a ton. So when I look out the next, uh, five years or so, I think being solely focused on OTL is, um, that's where I'm, I'm most passionate now. Um, I'm also, we've got, there's 20 mouths to feed out of the 10 of us, um, as a company. And so I, I think I owe it to all, you know, 19 of the other ones, um, to be focused on, on the current mission. Uh, we're not, I personally am not in a, a big hurry to grow. We've hired very opportunistically where if, there's awesome people who either no longer have a non-compete with me or um, are uh, that I come across and are just wildly talented at what they do. We've kind of been scooping them up, knowing that we have the business there to support it. So that's awesome. Yeah, it's been uh, su- we've just been very fortunate in that in that way. And so, will we be twice as big in five years? I'm not sure. It depends on whether or yeah. not I find you know, another 10 awesome people that I just say, I, I got to work with this person. Right. Um, because up until now, 
uh, that's how we brought everyone on the team. It's, right. And that's that's a strategy I want to keep keep working with. So. I love that. I, I I love having like knowing there's things you want to do down the road, but I also think that um, for someone like myself, that can be a big distraction to like focusing on what's like right in front of me. Yeah. And I just think there's so much value in recognizing like, man, we've been blessed with clients. We've been blessed with staff and let's focus on doing that really, really well. Yeah. And we, we're all, um, everyone within the OTL team and all the companies we work with are just, we're all hyper competitive individuals. And there's something really fun about just taking someone else's mission, Mm -hmm. um, kind of on as your own and just being like ride or die with it. And, and just as, uh, it allows us all to be kind of as competitive as we want and, and, and go for the win, uh, so to speak. Um, but on behalf of other people, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. And then with the time we get to spend working on our own project and it's, it's a small amount, you know, we're at like 10, 15% and hoping to grow that. Um, but we get to do that same thing, uh, totally. and know that if we continue to do that, uh, we will reap the re- rewards down, right. down the line. So, yeah. yeah, that's awesome. I, I, I love that. Um, you've kind of, you're unique in the sense that you're young, but you've also like had your hand in a bunch of different, um, areas in the business world. Yeah. And so like knowing that business owners are listening to this podcast, what would be some of your advice or uh, input just that you feel like business owners trying to make it need to know some of these things or need to do some of these things. Yeah. Um, I think it'll be easier for me to point out, uh, really good qualities I see in other, maybe other business owners that I think helps them be successful. Um, I'm constantly impressed by the P by the people who just push their constraints and don't grow for the sake of the sake of growing kind of. And so, um, and work to de-risk every step along the way. I think there's a big, and I was having this argument with my brother, um, recently, um, about whether or not an entrepreneur's job is to, um, take risks or to, um, uh, de-risk my way of looking at things and maybe to a fault is constantly reduce the amount of risk in a situation. In fact, I don't do my first thing when I think about goal setting is I first list all the biggest risks I can think of to the business. And then I set goals around that. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a risk to not innovate enough. Right. And so you have to innovate. And, and so it, it doesn't keep me static by any means, but, uh, so when I look around and I see, see business owners out there that are doing everything they can to de-risk their venture, whether that is um, to hire only awesome people or, or, or not grow too fast or to um, go out and, you know, it can be ambitious things like go out and do a large fundraise because it means they have more runway. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm just impressed and inspired by that. And I, I, think, I think that's a story that doesn't get told that often but like even people who uh, are looked at as like these huge risk takers, like Elon Musk, for example, um, if you're sitting around with hundreds of millions of dollars and you know for a fact that electric cars will be a thing, it's like the least risky idea ever to start Tesla. Totally. And I think people always look at it the other way around, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Now, I personally can't start Tesla because I don't have the money it takes to start Tesla. So for me, that would be a huge risk, right? Right. 
for him, uh, and apparently he understands how rockets work too, right? So right. to start a space company is like, will this exist in the future? Absolutely, right? Right. So so do it. So anyways, um, that's a little bit of a tangent. But for me, I'm constantly thinking, how can I reduce the risk of everything I'm doing? Um, and I've just been really inspired by uh, other business owners who have found new and creative ways to dis de-risk their venture so that everything they do is, um, calculated and just has a really good chance of working out. Right. Because, uh, yeah, it's way too easy to fail when you're a small business. It's just so easy to fail. (laughs) It is indeed. And our hope is that, uh, these stories can help less people to fail. Yeah. Um, what about just what's been helpful for you? Kind of the last question I always like yeah. to ask people is like whether it's resources or books or people or whatever it might be, like what are some key things that stand out that have been really helpful for you in your journey? So the first thing would be around just the people I work with. Cool. So the the individuals that have joined the team are just way better at than I am at specific things. And, um, and because of that, it's, it's very easy for me to put a lot of faith and trust into what they do. Um, and to say, you know, the design, the design of the product we're working on, um, is something I don't have to worry about. And that helps reduce so much stress, um, on me. And so I would say, uh, the first thing that's helped me a lot is, is just the people I, I work with, I've chosen to work with. So I'd say just find awesome, awesome people that you can work with and partner with. Um, the second thing is I try to read as, as much as I can. Um, I'm terrible at reading books. I'm trying to start that again. But uh, I read, try to read articles constantly uh, about business from a wider perspective. Um and then a lot very specific to building software. So just like a really tangible advice is, is just the app pocket, like cool. saving articles, uh, using pocket. And then they send me like five, I think every week, um, that they suggest I read and I try to try to read all of them. And then I take those articles to, uh, the people I work with and we discuss them and cool. argue about them. Um, and really like think, think about them all deeply and that that's, it's both very fun. And I think I learned a lot from it. That's cool. So, yeah, that's awesome. Any, any parting words to small business owners around the country listening, listening into your story today? Best of luck. I think it's, it's, uh, it's a really fun adventure, uh, for me and for the companies we work with. And I, the people that look at it as a fun adventure, that just seem to do seem mm-hmm. to seem to do well. Maybe that's because they're already doing well, so they can right. have that sort of um, mindset. But um, some days just just really suck. Yeah. Um, and so the people that I think look at it as an adventure of ups and downs tend to hop out of bed a little faster. That's very true. That so. is true indeed. Well, thanks so much for one showing up, but also just being willing to share some of your story yeah. and give us a peek into like how things are actually built. Um, cause a lot of people just think in terms of ideas, not how those ideas come to fruition. So thank yeah. you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely.
Welcome back to the part of the show where we sit down with Kurt Baer, our local business expert, and dive into the conversation we just had with Seamus about OTL Ventures and see what practical lessons we can take from conversations like this. I know this conversation was a little bit different than some of the other episodes, kind of diving into the tech and software development world, but I think it's valuable nonetheless because technology really changes the world. So Kurt, tell us some of the things that you walked away with from this conversation. You know, I, I loved it partly because it's a realm that I don't live in at all. Right. And so anything that pulls the curtain back, you know that about me. I'm like, ooh, look at all these new things I don't know anything about. Totally. And so I appreciated just that sentiment of, you know, just the, the, the way development works, what problems we're trying to solve and, and things like that. Um, you know, Seamus has been through a, quite an adventure for over the last five or yeah. ten years. So uh, I look forward to making his acquaintance in person. Um, the three things I have this week are... Uh, are from today's interview, the three things I have from today's interview are uh, that the market really tells you what it wants. Um, that was one of the first things I pulled out that he saw that there was nobody that really had enough bandwidth, at least in our atmosphere, for like a full-time dev team or whatever. But mm-hmm. being a fractional dev team for multiple different smaller scale operations could work and was in fact exactly what they needed. Right. So, uh, so you know, he kind of went about designing, okay, what does that team look like? How would they work? Yeah, I love how he had had several conversations and then kind of said, like, uh, let, me, let me take a month. I'll get back to you in a month. And I think that a lot of businesses start that way of kind of looking at uh, having this moment of where you recognize there's these opportunities in front of you and you realize, like, you know, maybe I shouldn't be thinking about these so binary. Like, maybe these worlds could kind of layer on top of mm-hmm. each other and come together for the opportunity that I've actually been looking for and haven't for really sure. known it. Well, and there's hardly anything new under the sun, right? And right. so it's just learning about how different combinations of opportunities and challenges yeah. line up and whatever. So Absolutely. anyway, I, I really liked his uh, his perspective on on that whole thing. And it's I think it's a lesson for everybody, whether you're doing a technology business mm-hmm. or whatever you're doing. Like the market will tell you what it wants mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways. And it's just being out and about that you learn those things sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the second thing that's uh, a little bit similar is as we learn things, we adjust. Uh, we're talking about it from a product development angle. Right. And I really appreciated his heart in that, that, that he didn't want to spend a bunch of his clients' money building something that was not going to be desired by the market mm-hmm. or wasn't going to work like they thought it was going to work or the market even maybe changed in the meantime. Right. You know, tech moves fast sometimes and... Like he said, if what you're building, Facebook just released, let's just stop burning the right. <laughs> ammunition, you know? Let's just surrender yeah. and, and do something And if different. you spend a year building it without, you know, these periodic check-ins and stuff, right? you're just wasting a lot of time and money. Software is fascinating to me because of the degree of leverage on the business model. Mm-hmm. It's like if it works and people want it, well, then you can sell a million copies for the same price that it took you to build that first copy. Yeah. But so many times you just spend a bunch of time and money building things and then it either doesn't work or doesn't capture market share or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, um, so being flexible within that and being client's best interest focused, I really appreciated that about his mm-hmm. that element of it. And then the last one I pulled out this time was uh, diversity of teams. You know, he talked about the uh, the team full of technologists that just 
went around nerding each other and never sold anything. Right. right. Pardon me, Seamus. I know you're a nerd, <laughs> but um, but really the, building that team where there's some people that are experts at sales and relationship sales. There's people that are great technologists, and, but within that even there's diversity of perspective and mm-hmm. skills, and it just teams are built of of diverse skill sets, not a whole bunch of the same, unless it's a basketball right. team. But even then, you know, you got a center and a point guard that do different things. Yeah, and and I don't think Sh- Seamus is a He's not hesitant to hire people that are smarter than him. Right. And he even mentioned that, like, part of why he has so much faith in his team is because he knows that in their individual areas, his team is way smarter than him in their own. Right. And what's smarter anyway? Like, who's smarter than who in what areas, you know? Right. But I think a lot of people that are starting things feel the pressure to, like, you know, I got to be kind of the best and Mm got to lead the way and all this stuff. But I think that he has recognized like, you know, I got to have different skill sets, different talents on this team. And uh, I don't think there's been much hesitation in in building that for him, which I think is great. Very, very self-aware. Yeah. From that perspective. So absolutely. I think a lot can be learned from the software world just because it's so different than, you know, your typical service service based or product based local business. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fascinating how quickly they move and how quickly they adjust. And so I think it'll be good to every now and then, um, and probably more regularly cause we've, you know, I, it'd be interesting to see what the percentage of tech software companies it's been are. Main street so far. It seems yeah. Like. Yeah, it has been, but, um, we'll, we'll definitely speaking of diversity of teams, we'll make sure we get a diversity of businesses here on the show. Um, but I hope that everybody listening enjoyed this conversation. Um, I encourage you to go and check out OTL Ventures. And, you know, if you are somebody that is looking for and trying to navigate what your idea looks like, what it looks like to bring that to fruition, um, maybe OTL or somebody in your community is a good fit for you. But I think that uh, there's a lot of people out there with really great ideas and I don't know how many times I've been talking to people that have said, I got this idea for an app. If I could mm-hmm. just build this app. So <laughs> I think it's good to see that there's, it's a little more complicated than that. Yeah, but also and I've heard some of those ideas, not to interject here, but Please. where they sit on the simmer thing for five years and then somebody else does it. Yep. You know, and they were way ahead of the market with something the market probably wanted, Yep. but a combination of fear and reticence. And so at least talk to somebody that's an expert in that industry and say, hey, yeah. this, is this got a chance? Is yeah. Yeah, talk to your friends around beer and talk to your your family, but also talk to somebody that can actually tell you and can kind of see the path to what it would take to build that to yeah. see if they think there's something to it and stuff. So. And it's seen the successful journey navigation of those kinds of things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I hope you all love this conversation with Seamus, and I hope that it is uh, encouraging to you in the ideas that you're wanting to build or in the business that you're building. I know that we kind of demystified and showed that it's actually more complicated than you think to bring an idea to life. But I hope that you can see that it's still worth doing it, even though it's, you know, you have to hire these teams and have these technologists behind it. Like there's opportunities and there's ways to make your ideas happen. And so I hope that everybody listening to this episode is encouraged that your ideas really can make an impact and they can change the world. And there's people out there that can help you to make that happen. So thank you again for your time, for listening to the Small Business Storytellers. 
Uh, we always appreciate and read every single review and would love your feedback. Uh, go ahead and send us reviews or email us if you have any questions. And we will see you next week on the Small Business Storytellers for another great conversation with another growing business owner. 